0: RadioInfluence.com. We'll unpack the major issues we face as a nation and provide an overview for the midterm elections with author, political commentator Tom Del Beccaro on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. This episode, recorded last week, downloads on the day of the midterm elections. If it's Tuesday and you're listening and you haven't voted, you must go out and vote. Because if you don't, you become a part of the problem instead of a piece of the solution. If you're listening after Election Day, hopefully more conservative politicians have been elevated to pivotal positions. But sadly, our nation's problems remain the same. So let's get into it. He's an acclaimed author, speaker, political commentator and the former chairman of the California Republican Party. Dealing with topics ranging from foreign policy to economic reform, his opinion pieces have appeared in foxnews.com, Fox Business, Newsmax, Forbes, Ecbox Times, Washington Times, DailyCaller.com, and on and on and on. His television and radio appearances, yearly number in the hundreds, Newsmax, Fox News, Fox Business News, OAN. And he's currently a political commentator on KUSI in San Diego, a guest back when I did this show live. I welcome to the broadcast the publisher of politicalvanguard.com and author of the Amazon bestseller, The Divided Era, Mr. Tom Del Beccaro. How you doing, hey, Tom? It's
1: great to see you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. And look,
0: <laughs> the whole world's going to change in about one week's time, isn't it? Right? Well, this show will actually download on election night. So let's just delve right in there. How important are these midterms? What must we accomplish in these midterms? And please, for people who will listen to this on election day, a passionate plea for why we must vote.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you still haven't voted, you've got to get out there. Look, the, the larger the stakes the more important it is for you to vote and the stakes continue to rise in america because the size of government continues to get larger you know i wrote the book the divided era and in it the basic premises is is that every decision government makes picks a winner and a loser and someone to pay for it and a government that does two or three things or spends some minimal amount of money isn't that intrusive, and the stakes don't tend to be as high. But as I just wrote uh, last week in Newsmax, the governments today, from the city council level to the White House, spend about 44% of the U.S. economy, which means that half the economy is government. And that's a ton of money. We're talking over $10 trillion a year that governments are spending. And these elections grow in importance because the amount of money continues to grow and therefore the power i mean just think about the reports last week related to the fact that the uh, doj and the fbi were working with facebook and uh, twitter about disinformation what could be more serious to a republic than our police agencies deciding what's proper information for the electorate to receive, so this election is very important, and people need to vote.
0: Right now, what, what must we as conservatives accomplish? Must we get the Senate back? Uh, if we don't get the Senate, and are we going to get the Senate if we don't get the Senate, but we retain the House? Are we still in for this uh, this bullcrap that we're dealing with? Uh, how do you see this working out?
1: Well, you know, I'm a betting man, I'd say that there's little doubt that the House is gonna flip considerably. There should be a comfortable 20 seat to 30 seat margin in favor of Republicans. Uh, The Senate is a different body, right? There's only 100 senators, not all the seats are up in any one election. The the latest real clear politics projection has Republicans at 54 Senate seats and the Democrats at 46, I think there's little doubt that the Republicans will control the Senate. The question is whether it's 52, 3, 4, or 5. Keep in mind, Gary, that you're looking at the possibility at the end of this election of 31 Republican governors out of the 50 states that's, not, that's 50 states, not the 54 that uh, Joe Biden, Biden was talking about. It.
0: Or the 56 <laughs> that Obama talked about, right? Did he say 56 <laughs> at one point? Yeah. Something like that.
1: So what does that tell you? There's There's pretty much 27 reliable Republican states and about 19 Democrat states. Therefore, that's a huge advantage Republicans have in the U.S. Senate, which, of course, there are two senators from each state. Republicans consistently should have somewhere between 52 and 58 U.S. senators, and we're going to get there. And then two years from now, the Senate also sets up for Republicans to, to do well again. So the Republicans should be holding on to the Senate for quite a few years after this next
0: election. Well, we certainly hope so. Now, The big concern as we saw in uh, 2020 was, uh, you know, they want to say, isn't it interesting, no, there was no election fraud. And now they're saying, yeah, you're you're gonna steal it. You know, uh, how much, how concerned (laughs) are you about, you know, the whole situation about ballot heart everything, the whole, how it plays out? Look, voter fraud is as old as voting
1: if you, my family's from Chicago, anyone who doesn't think there's voter voting fixed elections when everything doesn't know about the daily machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are books that openly talk about Frank Sinatra's role in introducing San Giancana to the Kennedys and that Giancana delivered that election. So look, and in, the, in my book, The Divided Era, I talk about during a reconstruction period, how the Democrats in the South went about stuffing ballot boxes. And there were many times that there were more votes than people living in particular counties and districts. So voter fraud is not a new thing. And if anybody who tells me that Chicago's voter fraud, which existed for, and fixing elections, which has existed for decades in Cook County, couldn't have migrated in 100 years to Milwaukee, or detroit it it has their head in the sand having said that let me tell you that the risk of voter fraud into the future are extremely high Mm -hmm. the the iphone is from is only came out in 2006 it's 15 years it seems like it's been around our whole lives right well imagine what voting's going to be like in 30 years as technology doubles and triples and quadruples in effectiveness and on and on. So what's the election of 2050 gonna be like or 2040 going to be like? So our, the need for bil- vigilance with regard to voter integrity is always has to be there. And it will be much more difficult in 30 years than this year. So uh, having said all of that, I think there are laws improved in Georgia I think you saw the Supreme Court ruling with regard to Pennsylvania or, or a court ruling there. So this is a constant vigilant thing. At the end of the day, we need to remember Europe doesn't have, by and large, mail by vote, and the re- or vote by mail, and the reason is very simple. They say it's too much voter fraud. Jimmy Carter and James Baker headed a commission many years ago against this uh, warning of that danger so i I do think the laws have improved over 2020 but no amount of improvement will ever be 100 percent and people need to remain vigilant and they need to keep their eyes open and when they see things wrong like someone going to a ballot box with tons of stuff or someone trying to harvest illegally that needs to be reported and there have been indictments and there will be more
0: I agree and we're watching and uh, you know I've had people on and I know you've been uh, writing and talking about it and about warning people about you know uh, mail-in ballots and go vote you know yourself and everything so I hear you. One of the things Gary
1: Gary, uh, you need to remember I think I was the first person who wrote nationally it was about 36 hours after the elections in, in the epic times about why, how the, the loopholes in Wisconsin laws that allowed the ballot harvesting. If you have to sign to get an absentee ballot, but not to turn it in, that's where you can drive a bus through the loophole. And the, the effective way to do this sort of thing is to go to, you know, you had an 86% turnout rate or higher in, in Milwaukee which blew away all prior records, right? You had nursing homes with massive voting levels. And so it would be easy to go help someone fill out their ballot. So that's why people need to be vigilant. We need to keep this up. But but 36 hours into it, I pointed out, look, it's a simple loophole. And, it, and all, to close it, all you have to say is that if you're voting – uh, not on election day and you want to turn in your ballot, you have to sign for it. There you go. That's, by the way, not nearly as restrictive as Mexico or, or other places.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Uh, Tom, since you went down that rabbit hole, I got to ask you a question that I keep asking people. And it's it's a, it's hard to get an answer because each state is different. Why do we have open primaries? Why do we allow Democrats to vote in Republican primaries? And by the way, how did that ever start? Who was the genius that said, yeah, we're going to have two Republicans running and let the Democrats in so they can make sure the conservative guy doesn't get elected? Yeah, I
1: think the answer is there is, of course, uh, not quote, nonpartisan elections across the country at the city council level and supervisors level where where it's just one primary and you know you vote in that particular way the argument a decade ago or, or longer for republicans was what well, your voter registration's dropping i didn't make this argument this is what uh the uh i don't know how to describe them but the know-it-all smart republicans who have consultants who have driven us into a ditch in many ways, but they've made the argument that if you want registration to be up and people who like your party, you have to do these open primaries. And the problem with that at the presidential level is is very important and problematic. And that is the fact that as you vote in these open primaries that allows Democrats to vote in, like in California, the, the RNC rules are based on who shows up from those states based on those voting rules. And so Democrats, in effect, have an indirect, but an actual effect on RNC policy. And that's why it's a bad idea for some of these states, just to say, okay, Democrats can participate, choose a person, and that person goes to the RNC. And but you always get that, oh, the Democrats will let anyone come over. Of course, I, I don't believe. I've been my family's been in politics for almost sixty years. I don't believe Republicans cross over and do that nearly as much as Democrats. Some do, though.
0: Yeah, well, it's driving me nuts, and it's driving most people nuts because. Obviously, if they're allowed to vote, they are going to vote for the candidate that they that they fear the least. So uh, we'll just leave that right there. You say politics no longer is local, that what happens in New York, in Portland, in Chicago reaches our living rooms across the country, that now everything has to be defined by national policies. Please explain, because I do agree, and this is one of the reasons that I think if people are waking up they'll they'll really get involved in their voting because you know it always says well my one little vote doesn't really count it may count on the mayor or it may count on the dog catcher but it doesn't count on anything that's going to go on and they're wrong and, and, and that's what that's what the left counts on they count on us not getting involved because they're, they're activists by nature it's in their blood they're involved.
1: Yeah absolutely so Many, many years ago, uh, Tip O'Neill, a Democrat from uh, Massachusetts, made the famous comment that all politics is local. And what he meant by that is basically, you, A, as a practical matter, you need to be involved in your local community. You need to talk to people. You need to understand their issues. And you need to relate to them and work with them. But that was long before the internet, Al Gore created. Note I said, created? Some Uh people say invented. No, he said created. Invents what people do, creates what God does. And Al Gore used that word on purpose. But long before the internet, there was only three television uh, stations as a practical matter. And yeah, you saw some news. But, you know, uh, Will Durant, the uh, famous historian, said there was a time when the news of the village barely interrupted lives. Well, now the news of New York is in your room, at your living room, anytime you want it to be. Same with Portland. And when you look at issues like crime, it is one thing to say that there is a, a strike in New York uh, of workers or that a bridge fell down in New York. But on issues like crime and inflation, those are have inflation's, of course, national by its nature. But because of the Democrats' concerted policies to lessen the penalties for crime, that too has become a national story, and you don't feel safe from it. So consider this. San Francisco earlier this year recalled its very liberal district attorney. And what made that the difference, in my view, were the videos that showed the crime throughout San Francisco. And those videos were of places people normally or used to go. That's not far from me. Mm -hmm. That's Union Square. Iconic places in their lives. And even though they may have been living two or three miles away or five, it affects them. The amount of information related to crime, crossing of the border, and inflation, these issues have been nationalized. And as a result, it doesn't matter where you live in California, you care about that crime. Same goes downstate in Illinois, upstate in New York. So politics is no longer local because of the power of media to place these
0: pictures in everyone's ho- household. Mm-hmm. Now, wouldn't you say a primary example of this, okay, that affects Southern California, that affects Arizona, El Paso, and Texas? Yeah, it did until all of a sudden they're being shipped, bust, have flown into your community. (laughs) All of a sudden they're showing up in Washington, they're showing up in Chicago, we're watching them on TV get off the bus in New York. Okay so I think that really is an example of what you're talking about that, that struck home with the nation wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah let me take you just a little bit farther back. Barely anyone hears of Planned Parenthood anymore in the news. Why? Well, those videos that Project Veritas did mm-hmm, that exposed them, Keef. yeah, now they, now they don't want to be in the news. And vi- that's the power of video. I have actually, I advocated to James and to other law enforcement officials. If you really want to blow the border issue up, you need to have videos of, of what the borders actually like with the cartels and the like, and let people see it in their own mind. So you're right, that's another issue, and, and they did it in a, a slightly different way, of course, by, uh, by flying them to New York, while, or, or Martha's Vineyard, why should Texas and Arizona bear the vast majority of the burden of this in California? Of course, California officials don't really care, but Arizona's the border for a long time now, miles and miles has been out of control, meaning not within law enforcement's control. but you're right that's a great issue that exemplifies that that part about the how politics is all national now
0: right, and I've had so many guests on that that dealt with that in fact, I met Tom Holman when I met you down at Rock the Red Tom's been on the show his fo- his successor, Ron Vitello. People in California and people in Arizona all deal that live or that have been involved in this issue. And it's absolutely amazing to me why this isn't the number one issue. I understand inflation and crime and the economy is huge, but a country without a border is not a country. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm writing about this in in my upcoming coming book. Look, security is the basics towards the advancement of a civilization. A civilization without security can't be democratic, can't be a republic, and won't prosper. This goes back to the beginning of time. If, if you look about all the, the border wars during the Middle Ages in Europe, I mean, you had areas that were run over by Visigoths and, and on and on and on, and there was no national identity. Well, the United States can't realistically not have a border. Now, look, it's easy to see the border of Florida. But the problem in the nuclear age is that if you do not police that border, you're risking enormous enormous danger internally and they have arrested many on the uh, uh, terrorist list. And that's, the, that's, an, that's a stunning threat that we need to get a hold of.
0: I always used to joke that I'd be better off if I uh, flew, flew to Mexico, came across as uh, Jose Fernandez and I, I, I may even get a better deal than I have right now. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what really irked me was, and this bothers me a lot you know, because obviously this is the greatest country in the world, it is a melting pot, but it always used to be people came to America because they wanted to live free, they wanted freedom and liberty that they didn't have where they came from and they assimilation to become American was such, I'm looking at people coming across the border, they they showed on Fox News two days ago, I think Tucker Carlson had it, maybe Hannity, they caught these people coming across the border. I think they were originally from Venezuela and they had this huge flag and they showed the border patrol chasing them back or something, they had this huge flag of of their country. What is that saying when you're fleeing from one country, entering another country, bringing the flag of the country you're leaving?
1: Look, there's a lot of uh, liberal California voters that move to other states and vote that liberal way (laughs) and want to bring the California border the other way, you know Gary, you you hit on something I wrote about this in Fox business three or four years ago, and the the cultural uh, the United States does not have a common DNA among its citizens It's not like there's the Germans or the Japanese or or the French or the English. they have a literally DNA that they share and binds them. We, have a, we used to have a cultural DNA of those coming for opportunity. And the reason why socialism will be so devastating in the United States is that when you destroy the possibility of opportunity, then you leave these groups that otherwise don't have a common heritage pit them against each other. Mm-hmm. This is why, in our history, whenever the economy has gone flat, you get this fight between uh, those that are already here and those that are coming in. The only time you ever hear about the problems with H 1 visas is when the economy is flat. When it's growing, we take people in. In the late 1800s, from about 1870 to the early 1900s, the US economy grew some 400%, got four times as large. We had massive immigration during that period of time. And although there were difficulties, especially among the Irish in New York and the the Italians, still, it was fairly calm. Why? Because there was opportunity. When you take that opportunity away and impose socialist policies in a flat economy, that is where the real danger will come.
0: I hear you, you know, Tom, I know you, you grew up in Glen Cove, Long Island, which is 10 miles from where I live. So you're right down the road. And so you'll understand when I say this, uh, as I go around the island, people, t-shirts, hats, Puerto Rico, Honduras, Jamaica, on the cars, the flags of all these other countries. You have all these people around here, have all these flags, all these hats, and all these t-shirts, and okay, well, got an American flag on your car too? No. You know, so, yeah, wow. Well, what are they telling us? Are, what are they saying to us? Well, part of that relates to the
1: fact that you can't have the, the, uh, the, the actual definition of nationalism is in a belief in your nat and your national existence, your country that of course, to the American left is they regularly say that the United States is not a big deal, Obama, but they often go far worse than that and say how bad things are here, which is ludicrous compared to the standard of living and other things around the world. But when you have so many leaders of a country, that have that view. And by the way, that doesn't happen on the rise of a civilization. When America and its manifest mm-hmm. destiny in the 1800s and through the, about 1950 when it was helping to save the world, like in Korea and World War II and World War I, there was a national pride. When that flips over, like you have in the Democrat Party today, and they are so vitriolic, against their own country. You don't have this pride anymore and you have this dynamic that you were describing because they feel, look, if these parties don't care about the country, why should we?
0: I hear you. Now, at the beginning of the year, you wrote an opinion piece on the Fox News website entitled Five Political Dynamics to Watch in 2022. In reverse order, number five, Will the Democrats moderate their law and order views? (laughs) Number four, Democrats spending desires versus inflation. Number three, will Biden abandon his tax hike? Number two, will Putin and China leave Biden alone? (laughs) And number one, will Latinos continue to move toward Republicans? And you said that will be the difference in states like Nevada and other states, and you emailed me that, so that wasn't part of the uh, thinking. But uh, that was what you wrote, your opinion piece, back at the beginning of the year. Where do we stand on those five now?
1: I'm telling you, uh, those are the dynamics that, that are I think are the country's facing right now. Look at crime. We know that's the big issue. It could It could result in you having a Republican governor uh, in, in new york it is going to result in a uh republican governor in uh oregon for the first time in 40 plus years there are democrats now trying to claim like Fetterman, oh, I, and others like oh i've always supported the police but it's not going to work because crime got so far out of control and that's a huge huge dynamic uh the biden tax at the start of the year they, they wanted to raise taxes if they would have gone with that it would have gotten even worse for them. So they abandoned that pretty quickly. Um, spending and inflation. The Democrats have been, you know, look, inflation is caused for a very simple reason. The money supply and the output should roughly grow the same over time. But what happened in 2020? is output plummeted when they shut the country down with COVID and spending skyrocketed and they've been printing money ever since. Powell has admitted that. It's all deficit spending. So where are the Democrats getting this money to pass these big spending bills? All deficit, all printed money, all fueling inflation. It didn't stop them and inflation, inflation and crime are gonna decide this election for most Americans. Uh, the big issue and the thing that's, cha- that's going to change America in the next decade is this change in, in, in the views of Latinos. Look, COVID was the end for them for a lot of Democrats. Most, a vast, vast majority of Latinos that come here, in the 90%, they want to get away from big governments and work, and they want security for their family in the form of jobs and safe neighborhoods. Well, COVID shut them out of working? And the crime issue has made their neighborhoods unsafe, and they're not getting an education in a lot of places, including California. So that issue, long term, remember the Democrats' whole thing was, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna let everybody across the border. They're, we're gonna make them dreamers. We're gonna allow them to vote. They're gonna love us. Turns out that's not working. Why? Because they don't like socialism. You don't have to believe me. Huge Democrat uh, operative spoke about that nationally. They hate socialism. So, this issue and the, uh, the number one issue about the changing views of Latino voters, which will get the Republicans will get more Latino votes than ever, and Nevada, it will make the difference. The Latinos were furious the way that Las Vegas was shut down. They worked there, their families were there, they were put out of jobs. In California, Latino women, Latinas, are the number one demographic for business startups they were harmed. That issue is going to make a difference for years to come and will in this election.
0: I certainly hope you're right. And since, uh, well, I identify as as a born again, a follower of Jesus, but I'm still black. So what's the deal with black people? How do you see it? Are they, are they catching, are they understanding that that the virus have the same effect and have they finally had it with this party?
1: I, no, I don't think they finally had it with the Democrats. Much like but the numbers are going up towards Republicans. They're not Blacks are not as in favor of this social justice as white Democrats are. They also would like secure communities. They're in favor of education choice by huge margins in these big cities and they're getting none of that. So that process is taking longer than the Latino process but it is underway and I do think Republicans will benefit from that uh, in this cycle but not nearly as much
0: as the as shift in Latino voting. All right, wait, hold, hold on, Tom. Tom, this, this garbage has been going on for 75 years. I mean, why is it you're saying the Latinos, they're, they're just getting it from a virus? How, how, how long do you have to get kicked in your butt? I mean what 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 isn't what is not connecting here.
1: Okay, well look, in my view, Republicans for many years have failed abjectly to get into those communities and interact with those voters. When I was chairman of the California Republican Party, we had I think the nation's largest communication network with Latino media and in the Latino communities. I was the first in history to do a town hall on Univision, and Univision won an Emmy for that. It was just a Latino uh, um, town hall. We did another as well, then the RNC did it. And let me tell you, the Republican establishment did not want me to try it because they thought it would blow up in our face. It Uh didn't. Uh And they've done virtually nothing since, since I left. Uh, they Republicans need to go out there and fight for the votes of Latinos and Blacks, period, full stop. You wouldn't go buy sugar from a stranger, or I'm sorry, borrow sugar from a stranger. Why do you expect the Black vote, to which you do not communicate and aren't with, sending them a piece of mail once every two years and expect them to go your way? So these things will change when Republicans realize that you have to fight for all votes, not just push out a certain amount of votes right in front of an election.
0: Okay, well di- well, then my question would be, how much did President Trump move the needle? Because yeah, Republicans have never delivered before, but Trump talked the talk and then he walked the walk. Jobs, highest black, lowest black unemployment, they raised up, you know, the prison reform, everything that he said he was going to do, he did do. Do you think yeah. that's going to help?
1: Yes. At the same time, and so as the failed policies of the Democrats continue, look, inflation hurts those on the margin the most, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't hurt Trump nearly as much as it helps the person working at a local restaurant or Uh, another service industry or however you want to describe it. So it's a combination of things. Latinos aren't, are leaving the Democrat party. It doesn't mean that they went to the Republican party. There's a difference Mm -hmm. that blacks and Latinos are going to leave the socialism of the Democrats, but Republicans need to show up, like you say, and walk the walk if they want to capitalize on that politically And the way they do that, by the way, isn't more government, which will only cause more problems. They have to allow these people to get jobs and take control of their lives and education.
0: I hear you. Now, five times, because I counted five times, you've mentioned this magic word. You started out in your first answer, saying big government. Then a little while later, big government then a little while later big government and one more time and you just said it again big government your book the divided era unpacks why quote the more government decides the more it divides your book came out in 2015 obviously you were right so where do we stand now and please remember some people may have sharp objects in their hands while they're listening to this because government has expanded Not only the liberals, but unfortunately, Republicans have have become, you know, have done the same thing a lot of times when they were in power. The expansion of government. And that is not what government is supposed to do. Yeah. You know,
1: historically, the big change in American culture came with the explosion of TV in the 70s. And what you saw was on TV, you saw these problems and ambitious politicians who would see a problem and they would say, oh, I'm going to respond to that and therefore benefit politically. If you look at spending since the 70s versus pre-70s, excluding World War II, it was pretty flat and meandering. And then in the 70s, it just went up straight up. Uh, And... That is continuing and it's completely unsustainable. And the reason, again, why I say that every decision government makes the more, decides the more divides, is that very clearly it has to pick a winner and a loser and a competition to be that winner and not to pay for it and to tax someone else. And today we are at each other's throats all the time because government's at the center of our lives. It's by far the largest industry. It is three times the size of the healthcare industry. And given that government funds so much of the healthcare industry without government funding, maybe healthcare would be a lot smaller. So, The answer is we are dividing ever more. And every time you vote to increase spending, you are not only harming your standard of living to lower economic growth and higher inflation, but you are now also adding to this division. And we need a leader that will come in and admit the obvious, which is that government is too big and seek to cut it. I, you know, your listeners aren't going to like this when I say it, but 2020 spending went up 3.7 trillion dollars 20 from its prior baseline. We can't trillion. We can't keep doing that.
0: It always goes up and here's what's scary to me. Government doesn't make money. It spends money. As government grows, they need people to run the government to run these jobs. They they hire people for their programs and all their administration and stuff, and they pay them out of our tax money. So the problem, inflation. Right, right. So the problem I'm seeing here is the bigger government gets, the more people are on the government dime and have government jobs. So when somebody comes in and wants to go free enterprise, you got more than half the country you know say wait a minute I I, 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 uh, I, work for the government I don't want you taking away my programs and stuff I'll be out of a job yeah I can go free I got a nice thing going here with benefits and everything else how, how,
1: how are we gonna get out of this mess? That, that is the that is exactly what I wrote about Newsmax this past week with, with everyone at the government trough everyone gets hurt and Theoretically, the best way you get out of that is to grow the economy and then put in welfare reform, which brings us to an interesting point. I thought we had welfare Uh, reform already. uh, Which brings us to an interesting point as we come to near our close here, Gary. And the last time in American history there was a significant restraint on spending, was when we had a Democrat president and a Republican Senate and House. And that was of course against with Bill Clinton where welfare reform came in. When Republicans have all three, spending tends to go too far. When Democrats have all three, it goes way too far. So when Republicans take the House and the Senate, we started the show out by you saying, you know, what's going to happen and why does it matter? And where's it going? I think you will get a restriction on the amount of spending because Republicans will suddenly care about the deficit again and the national debt. We used to have a discussion about that, how serious it was at 18 trillion. Now we don't talk about it at 31 trillion. Let's hope that is the dynamic that occurs. And look, you're going to have a Joe Biden presidency by executive order, uh, President Klain and Joe Biden and uh, all the obama that are there will regulate the economy and hurt it. You're going to have sustained inflation. As soon as the Fed said it, I don't know, a year ago or more that or two, that inflation was transitory, I was immediately up on the Epic Times saying, no, it wasn't because all the policies that created it, you're continuing. But I do think you're gonna have some reduction in spending, but Powell is so interested in creating a recession while still printing money, that there's gonna be more, even more people on um, government-assisted programs, welfare as we used to call it.
0: Wow. You know, you know, you 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 actually said something that I hadn't really considered about when you have when when the balance when all the power is on either side, then the spending goes up. That there's no check and balances. There's nobody to put the brakes on it. I never really considered it from that point of view. It's very interesting, Tom. I really thank you for coming on. Please tell people how they can reach you and anything you'd like to promote.
1: Well, go to politicalvanguard.com. We're a news aggregator. Uh, You get the news I think you need to hear. You'll see uh, op-eds from our contributors and mine, my national op-eds. You can follow me at at Tom Del Baccaro on Twitter, on Facebook. I think it's Thomas Del Beccaro. But uh, go to Political Vanguard. You'll find a lot there. I appreciate you having me on. And Gary, the best thing about you – in addition to the fact that you're on the northern shore of Long Island, it is your energy, and we need to keep that up as conservatives.
0: Uh, thank you for that kind comment. And and and, and one of the best things about you is you're exper- extremely bright and you're able to – Put things in a perspective and talking about the economy and inflation in a way that everybody can understand it. So, thank you. Uh, and try and stay safe out there on the left coast. And um, until the next time, thanks for coming on.
1: All right, boss. Talk to you soon. Hey, there you go. So
0: Same to you. God bless you and your family, Mr. Tom Del Bacaro. Everybody. I want to thank Tom Del Beccaro for sharing his expertise on a variety of topics critical to ultimately pivoting our nation back onto a conservative, constitutional course. This podcast is available for download at radioinfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hope to subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. That's it for now, folks. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.